podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. I sat down in the studio with Professor James Powelski and his wife, Susie Pileggi Powelski. They are co-authors of Happy Together, Using the Science of Positive Psychology to Build Love That Lasts. James is Professor of Practice and Director of Education in the Positive Psychology Center at the University of Pennsylvania, where he co-founded the world's first Master of Applied Positive Psychology program with Martin Seligman in 2005. In collaboration with Penn's Campaign for Wellness, he's launching a new interdisciplinary undergraduate course called The Pursuit of Happiness to help students learn how to increase their well-being. Susie is a freelance writer and well-being consultant specializing in the science of happiness and its effects on health and relationships. Her 2010 Scientific American Mind cover story, The Happy Couple, was selected for inclusion in three special issues of the magazine and became the catalyst for this book. Together, Susie and James give romance and research workshops around the world. She also pens a popular blog for Psychology Today and writes the Science of Well-Being column for Live Happy, where she's also a contributing editor. In this wide-ranging conversation that includes examples from their own lives as well as from the research literature, we discuss how to make relationships last by focusing on one's strengths and one's partner's strengths. The Powelskis use the free online VIA Survey of Character Strengths, VIA, which allows you to recognize your five signature strengths. Attributes such as leadership, love of learning, curiosity, zestfulness, and kindness. James and Susie emphasize the importance of focusing on the good in ourselves and others to enable relationships that are more than merely utilitarian or pleasurable. They talk about becoming Aristotelian lovers. Yeah. And they focus on the necessity of continual conversations and the importance of remaining curious and open so we can complement and not complete each other. So we remain individuals who want to be together. Their website, buildhappytogether.com, has lots of other ideas and resources that you can use. I hope you like the Work and Life podcast. And if you do, I would much appreciate it if you would rate and review it on iTunes so others are more likely to find it and enjoy it as well. All right. Without further ado, get set to listen to and learn from two relationship experts 
about how to sustain healthy relationships and with good humor at home and at work. It's James and Susie Pileggi-Powelski. Susie and James, welcome to Work and Life. Thanks. It's great to be here with you, Stu. We're so excited to be here today. Thank you. Well, uh, you know, the topic of well-being, we talk a lot about that on this show, uh, and it's always important. But, you know, especially, I think, this time of year when the days are short, the nights are long, there's less light, uh, and depression uh, tugs on many people who feel disconnected. Uh, from those who seem to be enjoying the holiday spirit. So before we talk about uh, happiness as a couple, let's just talk a little bit about positive psychology, what it is. Uh, As I understand it, at its most basic, positive psychology is uh, not the examination of pathology or anxiety, depression, psychosis, dementia, etc., but instead the focus is on well-being, on mental health, how to flourish, how to thrive, uh, on on how to pursue happiness in 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 the, what's referred to as the eudaimonic sense, and you write about that, and talk about that as others have, in finding meaning and purpose. It's about uh, uh, spiritual contentment, and and not so much about thrill seeking or short term sugar highs, you might say. So, I, I'd love for you to talk briefly about you just introduce our audience to what positive psychology is, but also to address. Is this something that everyone can access, or is it a luxury that only you know people who are you know well healed can afford to pursue? Because you know so many others are focusing on just basic human needs like food and clothing and, and shelter. Yeah, it's a great question, Stu. Um, look, I like to think about the analogy between positive psychology and what it focuses on and our physical health. So, if I'm sick, I go to the doctor. And doctors can help me in a variety of ways to get better. But if the only time I think about health is when I'm sick, that's not so great. So I need to be thinking about my health even when I'm not sick. And that will guide decisions that I make in terms of what I eat, um, what exercise I engage in, um, how much sleep I get, and so forth. And so health is a broad perspective, a broad – we need to have a broad perspective on health and not only think about it when we lack it. Mm-hmm. Similarly, with regard to well-being, human flourishing, it's something that we need to think about all the time, not anxiously, but to mm-hmm. consider and to have it guide our lives. All too frequently, we think about well-being when we lack it. Mm-hmm. If instead of that, we think about it as something that pervades our lives um, and can help us make decisions, then surely it's not something only for those who are well-healed or only for those who make a certain amount of money or more. I think it's only for those who are human beings. It, it, it applies to all of us. And I think What's your take, Susie? I would say um, being proactive. So you think of, let's say, a sports team here in uh, Philadelphia, the Great Eagles, right? You need to have a really good mm, – well, so last, okay, let's go back year, to last okay. year. You need to ha- be very proactive if mm-hmm. all you have is a great defense – so like being sick, James mentioned physical health or mental health. Of mm-hmm. course, you need to react and respond to threat. But being proactive every day, what are those positive choices I can make? Mm-hmm. So no, it's not just for the well-healed. It's for everyone. With something healthier I can eat or a healthier thought, you can choose actions mm-hmm. that um, guide you and increase your well-being. Mm-hmm. With with whatever resources that are available to you. And, and, and the idea is that everyone has access to some ways of 
gaining a greater sense of control and maintaining their their well-being. So what inspired you to write Happy Together? Well, you mentioned the Scientific American Mind article, which was right. a catalyst. Mm-hmm. But getting into that article, which you know then became the book, I felt that there was so much focus in our culture on uh, the wedding and getting together mm-hmm. rather than being together and how to stay happy together. And um, it's a really big decision to get married. And a wedding is a beautiful day. And we make so many choices. And that's great. But what about all the days to come, you know, a marriage or a committed relationship um, is intended to last a very long time, a lifetime. And who's going to help us with those choices? What kind of attention do we give to all those days? And I feel like the media just focuses on the fallen in love stage and happily ever after, as you mentioned mm. in the beginning with the films. And nobody focuses on the long journey that happens Why after that, the wedding day. I think because it's complex and there probably wouldn't fit into a two-hour movie if you really saw what happened after the couple lived happily ever after at the end of the film or at the end of the book. Um, It might not make for a uh, two-hour film, but rather it would be some saga that would continue for years and people would probably lose attention and wouldn't Mm -hmm. tune in. (laughs) (laughs) Not so dramatic in the sense of uh, capturing, you know, moment to moment the... uh, the attention of uh, of people uh, who want, I guess, all the answers in a in a short amount of time. So uh, there's so much uh, to learn from what you have compiled here in 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 what is a really engaging read. Uh, what, given that we don't have you know more than this hour, what would you say are the most important uh, keys to successful long term? happiness that lasts in uh, in a loving relationship. Well, Stu, I think it's important for us to establish at the beginning that the reason Susie and I wrote this book is because we have the perfect relationship. We don't argue. We see everything eye to eye. Wait a minute. Everything is, <laughs> My <no>. bubbles burst. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually not. Um, we actually don't think there is such a thing as a perfect relationship. The word perfect actually comes from the Latin, which means thoroughly done. So I suppose if both oh. both members when of the couple dead, are dead, it'll be just then right. it'll be thoroughly done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so as long as at least one of you is alive and kicking, it's an ongoing, developing kind of mm-hmm. thing. And uh, it's really key, again, as you mentioned at the very beginning, that we understand that there are things that we can do to mm-hmm. help shape um, and move it in the directions in which we both would like. So mm-hmm. we can bring a kind of effort to the table. The challenge is that many of us maybe have efforts that go in the wrong direction or that aren't helpful. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it seems like the more we try, the worse things get. And so we like to think of the metaphor of the gym. And so when you go to the gym, you don't just go to the gym once and say, wow, thank goodness I got that behind me. I'm fit for life. Uh, It's a, (laughs) unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) Right. So it's a kind of, it's a practice. It's a kind of, you come back at it and and work at it. And when you're at the gym, Mm -hmm. you ask a trainer, like, well, what should I work on? How can I do this? Because you Mm -hmm. want to use the weights uh, and the machines correctly. Mm -hmm. So we've turned uh, both to ancient wisdom, philosophical insights, but Mm -hmm. then also especially to positive psychology for those insights that can help us learn how to direct our efforts uh, effectively Mm -hmm. in this regard. And what are, what are the essentials? I think I, I know there's a lot, and it's hard to boil it down, <laughs> but uh, give it a shot. Well, focusing already on what's going well. 
even in the direst of times, you can always see a glimmer of hope, you know, in mm -hmm. life. So even if your relationship's not going that well, what are some of those things? What in the beginning of the relationship maybe did you see in your partner that you forgot about him or her? Mm -hmm. What are those strengths? We all have strengths. And how can we focus on that and nurture those strengths to develop and uh, really grow our connection? Just focusing on that for a moment, you use uh, the VIA assessment uh, to help people to identify those strengths in themselves and their partners. Can you say a little bit more about how that works and how people can use it? Sure. So the VIA is a free test that you can take online mm -hmm. and just in brief, Positive psychologists found that there are 24 strengths that exist, have been valued across time, cultures, religions, things like leadership, love of learning, kindness. And the good news is we all have strengths. We have them in different configurations. Mm -hmm. And our strengths, along with our upbringing, our background, our personalities, are what make us unique. And bringing our strengths to the table, we hear a lot about strengths at work, which is great. But what about strengths in relationships? So you could go on and take the free VIA uh, test at um, online and... It's viacharacter.org. Yes. Where you can find it. Yes, and it takes about 10, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And you can find out what your 24 strengths are and specifically your top five strengths, which are called your signature strengths. These are just what make you, you. Like if you're naturally zestful, you're just a naturally kind person or a curious person. And once you find out what your strengths are, um, finding out what your partner's strengths are, ideally doing it together, mm -hmm. and really learning about each other and having conversations. What is it, you know, about your strength of curiosity that, you know, you really connect with? How have these strengths really informed mm -hmm. great decisions in your life? Maybe it's why you chose a certain career path mm -hmm. or turned down an opportunity. And I think by um, discovering these strengths in one another, we can really grow closer together and understand the other person and see the unique differences mm -hmm. rather than like the deficits. I think early in a relationship, that's easy. It's, it's we love our partner because he just loves to learn as I'm looking at my partner here. <laughs> and maybe years into the relationship, it's like, do you really need to have 4,000 books, you know, stacked next to the bed? I Enough can't get with out the of learning already. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, like, are you trying to irritate me? <laughs> but seriously, I think... James, do you want to rejoin <laughs> on that? No, finish your thoughts, Susie. I was going to say, but I think people forget that, the thing they love about their partner. Susie, mm -hmm. you're so energetic. That's great. Mm -hmm. Years later. Susie, can you, like, tone it down a bit? So one of the keys... Susie, is to be focusing on strengths, knowing what yours are, knowing what your partners are, and really giving them attention and uh, exploring how they can be most appreciated. What else, what else is important uh, that you have drawn from the ancient wisdom and the science of positive psychology to help you understand how to uh, make love that lasts? Can we talk about Aristotle? Yes, indeed. I was uh, going to sure. ask you about Aristotle. Yeah. So, yes. How does one become an Aristotelian <laughs> lover? So, well, I guess in order to talk about Aristotle, we really have to talk about our, our honeymoon. Is that okay? Can we do that on, on, on this show? I, I don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I, I think we can, can, can say, kind of we can say anything here. So, go on. 
Now, I, maybe not the part. Now about, I'm really curious. Yeah. I mean, our son was born nine, ten months later, so maybe we shouldn't talk about okay. that part of the honeymoon. But um, but uh, why, why don't you start us off, Susie, what we were talking about on the beach? Okay. Okay, so our honeymoon. So we were going to the beautiful island of St. Lucia, and we're in the airport, and James's bag was incredibly heavy, and we had to pay all this extra money. And I was pretty frustrated. I'm like, really? Like, what did you bring? I have my bathing suit, a few sundresses, flip-flops. Like, what could be in this bag? Then I was also very curious. So we get to the hotel room, and he brought dozens. Can you take a guess? Books. <laughs> and they weren't just your paperback books. They were <laughs> the hardback, textbooks, probably the original Nick and McKean ethics because it, his bag was heavy as weights. So we get to the beach, and we're sitting on the beach talking about Aristotle and the good life. Mm -hmm. uh, true story, the Nick McKean ethics, and... <laughs> so look, admittedly, when you think about romance, you may not immediately turn to Aristotle. But it turns out Aristotle had some really important things to say about mm -hmm. relationships. He said that human beings love three different types of things. We love what is useful, we love what is pleasurable, and we love what is good. And he said there are relationships that that um, pretend to that 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 connect to each one of these, and so we. When you say there were relationships, friendships, that like, yeah. So I think see. about friendships of utility or mm -hmm. friendships of usefulness, mm -hmm. right? So study buddies, mm -hmm. uh, studying for an exam together, um, or business partners coming together to uh, create a new business um, together. Um, there are also friendships of pleasure, and so this is when you know. Young people get together, go out in the town on the weekends, for example. Aristotle says there's nothing wrong with these kinds of friendships. They're great if you can get them. But he says there's a third kind of friendship that's even more lasting, and that is friendships that are built on goodness, where you see the good character in the other person. And that's what you admire, and that can actually inspire you to want to be a, a better person mm -hmm. yourself. So we were talking about this on the beach, and Susie had an interesting take on this. So we're talking about Aristotle on the beach, having those little drinks with the umbrella, or at least I was. And I said to James, I was teasing him a bit, but I like Aristotle as well. Not as much as James, probably. He loves Aristotle. But I said, why did he have to limit this just to friendships? What if we took this up a notch and we applied it to our uh, romantic relationship, our marriage, and we really made a mission statement or being a Aristotelian lover, which is hopefully we get a lot of pleasure and some usefulness. You know, we bring different skills and mm -hmm. uh, talents to the relationship, like everybody. But what if we really focused on the goodness and identifying the goodness in one another and helping each other grow that? so we can become stronger individuals and stronger as a team. Mm -hmm. And he said, I love that. So mm -hmm. we made Aristotle as our uh, marital uh, mission statement. Hmm. And how is that, how does that play out perhaps for you, but for, for the people you're teaching? Because that is a theme that runs through the book. What is it, you know, the, the various ways of, of becoming and, and maintaining uh, this ideal of, uh, you know, being good for the other. Yeah, look, in many cultures, marriage was a lot about benefit, right? So two mm -hmm. families coming together. And um, and um, then more recently, it's largely become about pleasure. You, you get to con connect with somebody and you enjoy being with them and you just want to be with them all the time kind of thing. 
Um, and again, while Susie and I certainly believe that marriage and relationships should be beneficial and should bring some pleasure with them, if that's the reason why you're together, then if the benefits stop, the relationship mm -hmm. is likely to stop. Mm -hmm. If the fun stops, the relationship is likely to stop. But if you're together because you see the good in the other person and you want to help that other person to grow mm -hmm. and you yourself are inspired to want to be a better person mm -hmm. and are grateful for the help that the other person is providing for you, then those kinds of relationships are likely to be more long lasting. And then we can look to, with that as kind of an, a, a basis and an underpinning, then we can think about the strengths that each brings to the table as we've talked about, as well as other aspects of uh, positive psychology research, like looking to uh, harmonious passion or looking to positive emotions and so forth to build on top of that. So what's harmonious passion? So harmonious, well, I'll tell you what it's not first. So okay. you mentioned the movies and um, you know that swept away uncontrollable, I can't be without you sort of feeling. While that's great in a romantic relationship and often you know that's what attracts us to our partner in the beginning, but if months and years into the relationship you still feel that way, the research shows you're probably more obsessed. That's probably an obsessive passion rather than a healthy or a harmonious passion. Our harmonious passion, you love your partner, you have passionate moments, of course, but you're developing as an individual. You're, you have the sense of interdependence. So I'm working on my strengths and my goals and my partner's working on his. When we come together, uh, we enjoy each other's time and company, but we're not dependent or codependent. So what can you give me an example of what it means to cultivate harmonious passion and how that helps to build trust, which is, of course, uh, such an important currency in, in a leader's life, uh, in all parts of her life? Sure. Sure. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, look, obsessive passion tends to happen when we're focused on one and only one thing to the exclusion of everything else. Mm -hmm. So developing harmonious passion can be um, one step toward that is to say, well, am I passionate about more than one thing? So it's not merely work, 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 for example. Mm -hmm. But I also have um, a hobby that I enjoy. I also have relationships that I'm cultivating. In the relationship category, if we're obsessively passionate about one other, you know, one person, then that can be a problem because it can't let the relationship breathe. Relationships are are healthy when two individuals are coming together to spend their time together, not when they've lost their individuality and have mm -hmm. melded into some kind of gooey third substance, right? Um, so it's important for them each to maintain their own strengths, their own interests, mm -hmm. their own perspectives on things, while at the same time sharing their life together and having harmonious passions, being passionate mm -hmm. about the relationship, certainly, but also, you know, I still love to learn and I still mm -hmm. love to read Aristotle and I can do that mm -hmm. within a healthy relationship. So maintaining the activities you did before the relationship, your friendships. I mean, a lot of people you talk to and in the workshops we've gone to, mm -hmm. some people said they themselves that they get in a relationship and they no longer do those fun uh, activities they used to do or they don't see their friends anymore. They're only with their partner mm -hmm. and you feel like you lose a sense of yourself. So instead, um, an example of mutual trust, I know I could go and do my things and not see James for a bit and likewise, 
He's sitting around with his philosophy club doing his things, but then we're coming together and we trust each other. It's not questioning where, where you are or who you're with mm-hmm. because you're really uh, feeding and nurturing um, you know, what makes you you and your partner loves and respects you and wants to grow that part of you. And what if you learned about how to sustain that sense of commitment to, you know, cultivating the good in, in as, as, as Aristotelian lovers? What, what's essential to making that happen? Well, one piece of it is, um, you know, understanding the, the danger in the myth of uh, each partner having to sacrifice themselves for the other. Mm-hmm. So I can no longer be myself. I can no longer think about myself. I only think about my partner. Um, because what that then tends to do is it doesn't give me time, again, to grow and mm-hmm. develop. And I may then become resentful. Mm-hmm. Look, there's the, the, this term soulmate is one that people use a lot around mm-hmm. relationships. And if soulmate just means deeply connected, we have nothing against that term. But when it takes on these magical, mythical connotations of, you know, there's there's nothing you can do until suddenly one day the universe aligns and gives you your soulmate um, mm-hmm. and probably riding on a white horse, uh, uh, then that can be really problematic for a number of reasons. One, because if you have this sense that this is fated, then you might think there's nothing I can do to prepare for this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing that I can do to develop myself um, in a way that would be useful. Susie mentioned earlier the importance of um, avoiding a kind of dependence on each other. We want to have, uh, a, a, we, we don't want to have a, 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 an independence, but we want to have where we're just not connected, but we want to have an, 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 an interdependence. And if, if Susie is dependent on me for her happiness and I'm sacrificing myself for her happiness, chances are I'm going to burn out at this mm-hmm. and I'm going to become resentful that I can't be myself. I can do it for a while, but eventually. So, so what what must couples do to ensure that they don't fall into that trap, which of course many people do and probably some of you listening right now might feel like you're in that kind of rut. So if instead of me thinking of sacrificing myself for Susie, mm-hmm. if I can think of myself supporting her growth, mm. and she also thinks about supporting my growth, then we're both, we're both living our authentic lives, growing and learning, while mm. at the same time supporting the other person's mm-hmm. authentic development mm-hmm. as well. I think it's a mindset too. I like to say, thinking of your partner as complimenting you rather than that famous completing, you complete me, you mm-hmm. know, line from mm-hmm. Jerry Maguire. Because if you see complimenting, it's this give and take. And sometimes, you know, it's not 50-50. Somebody's given a little more because of circumstances. Mm-hmm. But this compliment, uh, so it's not he's my missing piece and without you I'm going to fall apart. And I think you can use strengths to help complement. And whether it's dividing tasks or hobbies or interests, um, looking at the strengths and seeing how you can get through challenges in life. Sometimes one person stepping in more in a certain um, domain because he or she is frankly better at it and enjoying it. And I think it takes ongoing conversations. Just like our bodies change and we have to change our fitness routines, mm-hmm. our lives change, our marriages change, our relationships. We were talking about how, well, people change and grow and become more of themselves over time and that a commitment to uh, 
Aristotelian love is is a commitment to ensuring that you're devoting some of your life and attention to helping your partner grow and become more of herself. Um, and I'm curious, as I'm sure some listeners are, about how you sustain that commitment over time. I We started talking about that. What other um, advice or specific suggestions do you have about how to how to keep that you know as a as a active part of your conscious you know decision making and 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 attention on a on a regular basis i think being curious mm-hmm. remember to be curious think about when you first met your partner you were likely very curious you probably had hours hours and hours long conversations maybe that last the wee hours of the night and that's wonderful. Unfortunately, so many people fall into a rut once they're in a longer-term committed relationship or a marriage. It's this assumption that I know you. You know, I can finish mm. your thoughts, that romantic notion. I know what's going on in your mind. Nobody knows what's going on on anybody else's mind. And I think maintaining that same sense of curiosity, mm-hmm. continuing to ask one another questions, and having conversations we like to talk about the uh, notion of strength conversations. What's that? And so that's where um, after you've identified your strengths, you have a conversations about uh, one of my top um, strengths is creativity. James mm-hmm. actually has a, a strength of creativity at top as well. But then we have other strengths. What does that mean for us? Why did we make these decisions? How does that inform our everyday life? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it about our future? you know, that uh, we want to bring our strength of creativity to it. Mm-hmm. How can we do that? And I think so many couples just fall into patterns of, um, you know, being closed and being mm-hmm. afraid of being vulnerable. So curiosity is a, is a catalyst for engaging in uh, ongoing conversation about uh, what uh, what you can be doing for each other to, to cultivate uh, the good in each other and, and in the relationship. Gratitude is an important element of positive psychology, the expression of gratitude. How does that play into what you've discovered about how to sustain relationships that last? Look, gratitude is a way that we can um, focus on things that otherwise can kind of disappear into the background um, and we don't notice them anymore, right? And so when we are grateful we focus in on a specific thing that the person has done. It can be something very basic like, you know, empty out the dishwasher or take out the trash. It's just the example I was thinking of. I could read your mind. Wait a minute. No, we can't read each other's <laughs> mind. Sorry. Um, so, but if we if we take that for granted in the other person, mm-hmm. uh, then the other person can feel sometimes like this is just a relationship of utility, of mm-hmm. usefulness, and you're mm-hmm. being used in this kind of way. So gratitude is a way that can help mm-hmm. focus our attention on what's actually good in our lives that we otherwise might not notice. Hmm. So it's important to cultivate that kind of um, perception of gratitude. It's also important to express it. Yes. Because we can feel grateful, but unless we express that gratitude, how's the other person supposed to know what we're, what we're feeling? And it's not just the expression, is it? It's the reception of expressions of gratitude that matters on the other side. Right, Susie? Definitely. I think the expression and the reception. We hear a lot more about expressing our gratitude, which is important. We don't hear as much about reception. So we like to talk about, well, we could tell you a personal story if you want to hear a personal story about Go on. receiving gratitude. Um, 
Should we jump to the dinner, James? Can we talk about the dinner? Okay, great. Let's talk about the dinner. <laughs> so um, I always have to check with Susie because this is kind of on her. So if she volunteered it, Stu, then we can yeah. go forward with this conversation. I should um, first say I'm Italian <laughs> and I love to cook. So you, hopefully you'll think a little better about me. But when he t tells you the story, you, right. you won't think I'm as bizarre. Let's as... hear the story already. <laughs> early, early on in our marriage, I came home and Susie had prepared a dinner. And I ate the dinner, and after the dinner, I said, Susie, thank you so much for pre preparing this dinner. I really appreciate it. It was Sounds delicious. Sounds like an thank authentic you. expression of gratitude. And Susie said... What went wrong? I said, oh, gosh, if you only knew, I ran out of the spice that I wanted, so I replaced it with something else, and then the potatoes got overcooked. You didn't and then have the, the oregano. No, <laughs> oh, and then the gosh. phone rang, and the, and, and the rice, and it was the different brand, and it was just awful. It should have been much better. So at this point, I'm thinking, okay... Never again compliment her on the dinner. I was just wanting to offer up this authentic gratitude, and instead I got all the reasons why I shouldn't be grateful for this terrible mess. So how does that translate into the wonderful advice that you provide <laughs> regarding the expression of gratitude and how to receive it in a way that reinforces it and encourages it and lets it do it, its thing? So we like to think about gratitude as a dance. And so for the dance to go well, yes. there needs to be an initiation mm -hmm. and a response. Mm -hmm. If you don't initiate anything, you're not going to have a dance. But if your initiation isn't responded to well, then it's going to shut down the dance. So what I did in effect to Susie is I said, shall we dance? And she said, no, I got to tell you about all the reasons why you don't want to dance with me. Mm -hmm. right? And it shut down the dance. Mm -hmm. And so instead, what we recommend is, look, all of us have the temptation that Susie does, especially I think in those areas where we're experts mm -hmm. in the work domain or in other domains, mm -hmm. when we know we could have done so much better and somebody comes and compliments us, we're mm -hmm. we tempted to say, oh, well, look. I, but if instead of doing that, we just accept the compliment. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to beat a genuine thank you mm -hmm. while looking someone in the eye. So that's just that basic acceptance. Mm -hmm. And then we can build on that as well if the time I is right. Yeah, we mm -hmm. can go deeper and really savor that and take it in. And then like finally, we can ask our partner questions. You know, what is it about that dinner you really liked? And really use the opportunity to grow closer together than mm -hmm. pointing out your insecurities and what you did wrong and shutting down an opportunity to mm -hmm. connect deeper. So look, Stu, so I do feel good about yourself though to be able to accept a compliment. Definitely. Mm -hmm. and we or at least good about yourself in the context of the relationship that the compliment is occurring in. Definitely. I think that's so important. And we found a lot of people don't feel good about themselves or they're afraid to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Why can't we take these things in? And we found this not just here in the U.S., but throughout the world that we traveled, most people mm. We spoke to had similar instances of receiving gratitude, whether they were taught to be humble or humility mm -hmm. when they were younger, or if they accepted gratitude, like there wouldn't be enough to go around for someone. You mean they learned else. to to reject it? Yeah, like you're not. So that's a to universal phenomenon. So Definitely. people have to be trained to receive uh, the expressions of gratitude of others. Yeah, it seems really important to be able to do that. It's important to realize that happiness is less a state or a destination and more a journey and a mm -hmm. process. And so if you try to hang on to something, you try to just not let it go or not let it change, we're living dynamic beings. It's not going to work.
Mm-hmm. And so if you're trying to hang on to your partner, you know, Susie and I have an eight-year-old, and we've joked that we want him to stay eight. Like, mm-hmm. he's not allowed to grow any older. Yeah, and of course, that. that doesn't work. It doesn't work with kids. It doesn't work with mm-hmm. our partners. So it's really important to th- – one key here is I'm concerned about, like, the negative that's going to happen with change. What about the opportunity of the positive that mm-hmm. will happen with change? Well, so if you're mm-hmm. thinking about your partner's growth as – um, something that is a threat to you, mm-hmm. you're likely to work against it. But if you're thinking of your partner's growth as something that can be a positive opportunity mm-hmm. for both of you, that's going to be more welcome to your partner and healthier for the relationship. But not everybody is wired that way or has you know, built the kind of uh, trust over time from their history or you know, experiences that has, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that makes them capable of being open to seeing their partner change. So, when you have that sort of history or constitution, what what can one do to maintain that sort of uh, uh, openness and embracing of uh, the evolution of the relationship and, and your partner's place in it and your place in it? I think practicing trust in small things so you can work up to the larger things. Um, we talk about um, different ideas and exercises, having conversations, sharing maybe some stories from the past or secrets or something from a childhood um, experience or maybe a vivid dream or something you never told anyone about. Could be something Mm -hmm. fabulous or maybe something, you know, a really tough time or Mm -hmm. hopes and aspirations for the future. I think if partners would practice really having conversations and again, back to curiosity, being curious and being vulnerable, rather than just fall into the rut of the typical day-to-day conversations, there's always something new to learn about our partner. Mm-hmm. And for the person on the other side listening or the receiver, it's really important to practice being mm-hmm. open mm-hmm. and not defensive. And to James's point, not trying to hold on to that person who you thought he or she was, but mm-hmm. really listening. And this vulnerability is really an opportunity to grow mm-hmm. and um, really have a deeper bond. And there's another topic we haven't talked about that I think really fits nicely in here, and that's Mm -hmm. positive emotions. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of a relationship, it's typical for positive emotions just kind of to be there. And we Mm -hmm. may make the assumption that they're always going to be, you know, we're always going to be kind of floating on cloud nine kind of thing. And so if we think about change from that standpoint, it may seem like I don't want want to go down from the high that I'm on. And so positive emotions, they naturally are emotional lives naturally shift over the course of a relationship. We can cultivate positive emotions, though, moving forward. And so I think perhaps Mm -hmm. one of the things that T was concerned about is if a partner grows away from them, and then they they lose that kind of connection. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that cultivating positive emotions together by doing activities together Mm -hmm. that can help promote those good feelings, then the growth can be we're not we're not stultifying the other person, we're not holding them back. What we're growing together, and we're mm-hmm. continuing to experience some of those wonderful emotions that we felt at the beginning of our relationship. You know, this show is called Work and Life, and I want to bring the work piece uh, in, into this conversation. Uh, how is uh, the cultivation of um, Aristotelian uh, love uh, something that uh, that helps people? in not just their relationships, but but that uh, either spills over into their working lives because of the nature of their relationships at home, or that can actually be applied in relationships at work. What thoughts do you have about that? 
I think there's several different things. I mean, the first strengths again, identifying your strengths. And even if um, your specific job maybe doesn't focus so much on that strength, mm -hmm. how can you job craft and really bring your sense of creativity to the job? Or maybe you're just really um, socially intelligent. What activities can you suggest to you know um, work together on mm -hmm. better teams? And so I think you can proactively really use uh, your strengths at work uh, for the betterment for mm -hmm. yourself and mm -hmm. for betterment of your colleagues and the organization that you mm -hmm. work with. Uh, mm -hmm. Absolutely. So in my work teams, you know, we, we have Aristotelian friendships in a way. We really, I want each member of the team to grow and they want me to grow. And mm -hmm. so at the beginning of our meetings, we'll often uh, talk about the strengths that we've been able to use mm -hmm. uh, in a particular context. And that sets the tone then for, sure, we all need to grow and we all need mm -hmm. to shift as a team. But instead of starting in with, oh my goodness, I can't believe you did that again. Mm -hmm. It's starting in on what are we doing how are we connecting with our strengths? What are we doing well? And then how can we improve upon that? Do you have ideas uh, that you share in your workshops and in the book about how people can um, bring their work into their uh, intimate relationships in a way that enriches them or contain them uh, so that they don't uh, have a negative effect on their intimacy? I think you have to find interests outside of your workplace as well that really sustain you because unfortunately, um, some people get very obsessively passionate about their work mm -hmm. like they might do about their partner. Mm -hmm. So um, again, the research shows you can't be obsessively passionate about more than one thing. You just don't have enough time. So um, if you're truly engaged at work, that's great and mm -hmm. you're loving it. But remember, you know, your family, um, your friends, your activities that you always enjoyed before you got involved in that career and make sure you're really dedicating time to those things as well. So do you have specific advice for how to contain the spillover of work into home life? I think having conversations with your partner about work in a healthy way. Um, you know, a lot of people come home from work and might just be complaining about work. Mm -hmm. But again, getting back to strengths, knowing what your partner's strengths are. James and I have conversations a lot, and I think we help each other because we have different strengths. I tend to more jump into things. I'm very zestful. He's very analytical. So we'll have roadblocks in our different careers mm -hmm. and he'll tell me a story and say, how would you approach this? Mm -hmm. So that way he's asking for my advice and I'm mm -hmm. complimenting. He's not just venting, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm listening to him. And sometimes you, you, know, you just wanna listen, you're not offering advice mm -hmm. right away. But often I think we come to solutions or better approaches uh, just by hearing um, from one another because we have really different um, you know, takes on well, especially yeah. with a focus things. on how you can be helpful to each other and, yeah. and to cultivate the good in each other. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think another thing that um, can help is at work, we oftentimes, you know, we have meetings that are scheduled, we have tasks to do and so forth. And then sometimes we just kind of go home and we're just kind of so exhausted. We're just kind of, oh, I just going to, you know, try to get through the evening until the, mm -hmm. next, the next day. And so being a bit more proactive about scheduling things in our mm -hmm. uh, in our relationship time mm -hmm. so date nights mm -hmm. or times when we're 
not going to do technology. Mm-hmm, technology mm-hmm. is another one of those really things. Really committing can, to but time. really committing time yeah. to having these conversations or these activities together and so forth, and scheduling that in. It allows you time to savor the relationship and really That's focus right. on that. Uh, I wonder if you could offer just really briefly what's the, what's the best advice you've got for uh, working parents in terms of how to be focused on your family, your children, and your work in a way that works for both. I think taking the time every day, even if it's just 10 minutes, to connect with your partner mm-hmm. and with your children and thinking about just one good thing that happened that day mm-hmm. and going around. We like to do it around the kitchen table or sometimes when we're reading to our son in bed. Mm-hmm. And even if you had the most miserable day, there's always one thing you could be grateful for. Mm-hmm. How about for you, James? Yeah, and uh, helping the, the, the children to identify their strengths as mm-hmm. well. So it becomes a team effort. So mm-hmm. we're all wanting each other to flourish mm-hmm. uh, as we go through life. And how, about, how, how does doing that help you in your working life? Look, if I come with the perspective that I want my son to flourish, I want my team to flourish, mm-hmm. I want my wife to flourish, and at least most days I feel that coming back to uh-huh. me. I mean, some days are rough, right? But I feel that coming back, then that creates a kind of of perspective, of approach that guides my life, whether I'm at work or at home or mm-hmm. coaching our son's soccer team. Uh, a question I've been asking everyone this year uh, that I'd like to ask each of you briefly to address, and that is, how do you bring compassion to your working life? James? Compassion for myself is one key thing. Um, and so recognizing that um, I'm not always going to be 100% mm-hmm. doing what I, you know, so giving myself the the chance to rest and relax and mm-hmm. connect with others and to receive from others mm-hmm. as well as a team effort. How about for you, Susie? I think being um, just open to other people and realizing that everybody has a unique story, everybody has challenges, Mm -hmm. and just taking time to really listen and being gentle with others and with myself. James and Susie, thank you so much for joining me here in the studio tonight. How can listeners find out more about Happy Together and the other work that you're doing? So we have a website at buildhappytogether.com. That's the easiest way. They can find links to Mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of stuff there. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate your taking the time uh, and uh, sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you so much. We had a fun time. It's been wonderful, Stu. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with James Powelski and Susie Pileggi Powelski and that it provoked your thinking about how you interact with your partner, with the most important people in your life. So here's an invitation, a challenge. Consider taking stock of your personal strengths and your partner's with the very easy-to-use assessment at viacharacter.org. That's V-I-A character.org. Where does this lead you? What choices might this compel about how you communicate with each other, how you spend your time, how you can support each other's growth. Let me know if you try this or what other ideas might have occurred to you while listening to this conversation. I'd love to hear from you. So get in touch with me directly. It's friedman at wharton.upenn.edu or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, 
Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, go to workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, visit totalleadership.org and check out my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes, and share it with your friends, your family, and your coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.